As we kind of have been journeying with Jesus, we've been in Luke's gospel for a while. We'll probably switch over to Matthew's here next week. But as we turn our attention now to the remainder of chapter 17 and on into chapter 18, we have this picture, and if you've been with us on Thursday nights as we are finishing up the book of Revelation, one of the great questions that the world still asks is the same question that the Pharisees ask here in chapter 17. They ask when the kingdom of God would come. And it was a question based on what Jesus had been teaching. He, he had repeatedly said that his kingdom was a different kind of kingdom. He had spoken all these things. And so from a Jewish perspective, when you remember what was going on at the time, they were under the oppressive rule of Rome. They were in a, a critical time, really, as far as a people, because they were on the verge uh, of being pushed out of the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land of conquest under Joshua. They, they were at that pivotal time when the heavy hand of Rome was descending like a lead weight. And so it was a natural question for the Pharisees because they had believed and still believe to this day, and they are Jewish people still to this day, are God's chosen people. And they believe there's a special place. And so it was a very, very natural outflow of the teaching of Jesus. And now we come to verse 20, in a time tonight, the coming kingdom. And it says in verse 20 of Luke 17, and I want to read a couple of verses and then we'll pray. But now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. And it's important that you realize that the word that was used in the original language there was a type of negative observation. It was a critical spirit, a critical heart. It was the same thing that the Pharisees had been doing for a very long time with Jesus. They were waiting to trap him with something. And see, he was addressing a heart issue, and they're responding with a physical issue. Jesus is looking at the inside, and man's looking at the outside. They're looking for when their lives are going to be better, when they're going to you know, line up and take their positions in this kingdom as Rome is overthrown. And Jesus is really saying to him, look, the problem's not external, it's internal. And so he says to them, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, notice this, he says it very specifically, the kingdom of God is within you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the dedication of these blessed saints who are here tonight and pray that your word uh, would enable us to receive a special blessing from you as we read it, as we study it. Would you encourage us as we uh, need that encouragement? Lord, your kingdom is coming. Lord, it's come within us, but it is literally coming one day. It just hasn't arrived just yet. And so we pray that you'd encourage us. Uh, as your word is read and spoken and taught, God, would we be uh, instructed from heaven? 
And we ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So the Lord's on his way to Jerusalem. And here's, remember, as we've talked about this, you have to kind of picture, he finishes his ministry in the region of Galilee. He's been hanging out there in Capernaum. He moves down the coast, goes to Magdala. He starts up the canyon past the cliffs at Arbel, and he rounds the corner. He goes through Nain, and, and he's on his way back through Cana, and he'll eventually go to Nazareth, and then he'll descend down into Samaria. And when he gets through Samaria, he'll cross across the Judean wilderness, and, and he'll finally reach Jerusalem. But he's on his way. And he's teaching as he goes. And there are all kinds of attitudes and theories and people watching. And see, that's really our world today. There are people who wonder about what goes on inside of this old Teledyne Ryan uh, missile facility. You know, that's what this used to be. It was owned by Teledyne Ryan. They used to make rocket parts inside here. You see, they wonder what this whole kingdom of God thing is about. What is it that the Lord's actually promised us? And so Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and as he goes, he's teaching. They, they were talking about all kinds of things. And, and he, you know, Jesus talks about farming, and he's talking about, you know, riches, and he's raising people from the dead, and he's healing, and all these things transpire. But there's always that group in the background like the Pharisees that simply want to see the natural. They're not looking for the supernatural. They're not looking for the internal. They're always looking for the external. They're the what can you do for me now crowd. And we have them. They show up pretty much all day, every day, all week long. People coming in, they want to know, what can you do for me? And they bypass the very thing that Jesus said is the most important thing. Well, I don't really want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I just want you to make my life better. I'm not really looking for this, this thing called a relationship. I just simply want you to, you know, pray for me and I'll be perfectly well. Now, again, those things God may do. God's a good God. He loves to give good gifts to people, especially his kids. But Jesus begins to speak to them. And, and see, in this day and time, the Pharisees specifically wanted a militant Messiah. They definitely wanted Jesus to rise up and gather an army and, and go, in essence, stomp Rome. And so it's with some kind of snobbish arrogance that they speak these words. They wanted to know when he was going to get moving. When are you going to get going? When, when are you going to whoop up the crowd and get everybody all excited about how you're going to take down Rome? And the Lord basically in this passage completely ignores their question. And you know he heard them. You know he understood them. You know he got it. But at the same time, he just blows right past what they actually asked him. You see, because they're asking him a temporal question, he's going to answer them with a spiritual, eternal answer. He's going to give them what they need, not what they ask for. Can I tell you that God always gives you what you need and not necessarily what you ask for? And so Jesus says to them, the kingdom of God doesn't come as a visible kingdom. It's not an armed political kingdom. It's not with observation. It's not with your hostile watching. It's not with your intent to cause a, a, an uproar. That's not how it's going to come about. 
And we know this from some of the things that the Lord did. Remember on the night that he was arrested, remember what Peter did? Peter was kind of still in that mode of hostile insurrection against whoever was going to come after Jesus. And so he draws his sword, he lops off the ear of the high priest's servant Malchus, and Jesus says, Peter, 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 Peter. That's not why we're here. We're not here to take ears. We're not here. You see, Peter was such a bad aim. He, he actually got an ear when he intended to get ahead. And Jesus says, no. And he picks up the servant's ear and puts it back on, heals the guy. He says, I'm sorry, Peter's just an idiot. He still hasn't gotten it. Now, Jesus probably didn't say that, but that really is the intent of what he's doing. He's like, Peter, you, that's not me. That's not what I intend. Matter of fact, I came here for the express purpose to go to the cross. Don't get in the way. But these Pharisees are gathered around. They're lying in wait, just like they always did. And remember, Mark's gospel, Luke further records it in several other chapters, that the Pharisees were always watching Jesus. There are a lot of people watching you. They're watching me. They're watching the church with hostile intent. They're trying to see what it is that we do, and they're very critical in their eye. They're looking to see if we actually are who we say we are. We live, how the say, we live how we say we're supposed to live. If we do what it is we claim we should do. And so there's a little bit of a sinister connotation about how the Pharisees are handling these things. And basically it says, look, no one's going to be saying, look, see here, see there. It's not going to be a visible kingdom. It, it's going to be a, a spiritual kingdom. And furthermore, he's going to go on, he's going to tell them, look, you can't get into this kingdom through any other way but me. There's no other way. It's one of the reasons that the Pharisees rose up so vehemently against Jesus. Because he didn't want this kind of Messiah. There's a lot of people that don't want the kind of Messiah that Jesus actually is to this day. They're looking for somebody to solve all their problems. They want God to make them healthy, wealthy, and wise and take away every bit of disease, every sickness, bring back all of their family members. They're looking for God to do something for them and not do something to them. And God first must do something to us before he can do something for us. Because if he simply does something for us, we will likely not handle it correctly. When you get to the mystery parables in Matthew 13, as Jesus is talking about you know, the sower and all of those things, Jesus basically tells them, look, I'm going to put off the establishment of my earthly kingdom until we square up your attitudes. We've got to fix your internal problems. You're actually the ones holding it all back. And I wonder sometimes if the things that we do aren't kind of hindering the things that God wants to do. Not that he could be thwarted. He's a sovereign God. But I think sometimes because he allows us the blessed privilege of making choices, including wrong ones, bad ones, he works with us rather than just simply overrides us. And so he says to them in this passage, look, the kingdom of God is within you. And of course, he's referring to a spiritual kingdom. Amen? Amen? And in that sense, it is in us. 
Look, the kingdom of God is in you, and one day you're going to take your last breath and off to heaven. Or he's going to blow the trumpet, we're all going to go together. So in that sense, that kingdom is yet still awaiting us in its fullness. But it's within us today. And so though he tells them these things, they fail to understand. I want you to see as we move on this this coming kingdom. And so now the Lord is going to turn his attention to the disciples, to to the real spiritual guys. This is the best that Jesus has got with them. And they're almost as much in a fog as everybody else. A little better off maybe. But it would happen one day that they would fully understand. And so the Lord is about to talk to them, talk to them uh, about his day of visitation, when he would come. He's actually going to explain things to them. And they're going to be sitting there going, oh, what? And sometimes we do the same thing. We read right over a passage and the Lord's speaking very plainly. And we're like, well, that's not what I want. So that must not be what it says. And so we're going to see three things. The rejection of the Lord, the return of the Lord, the rapture of the Lord. And so in this coming kingdom, he speaks first uh, of his visitation. And now verse 22, and pick it up with me here. And then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here and look there. Don't go after them. Don't follow them. For as the flashing lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to another part under heaven, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first you must suffer many things and be rejected by, and notice what he says, this generation. He speaks directly to them. He says, there's going to be a day when you guys are going to wish to see that the, the real thing that you're asking about right now, but you're not going to get to see it. And he said, in fact, this generation is actually going to reject me. This generation is going to say, we don't want you. This generation isn't going to want the real Jesus. And we know that actually happened at the cross. Amen? Matter of fact, that was the cry. And it was set up by the religious leaders of the Jewish people. It was Annas and Caiaphas who managed to pull that all together. And ultimately the crowd yells out, what do they yell? We don't want this man to rule over us. Give us Barabbas. We don't want this kind of king. We don't want this kind of kingdom. If this is, this is the kind of king he is, we don't want it. And there's a lot of people today that are still crying out the same exact thing. They want a God who's going to give them everything they ask for. Can I tell you a little secret about Christian living? God may actually take some things from you. He may allow some things into your life that you don't like. Because indeed, as is Father's Day, Father knows best. Amen? Father knows best. He knows the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? You know, so sometimes we're, we're looking just like the Pharisees did, just like the, the disciples ultimately didn't understand what Jesus was getting at. Sometimes we're the same way. But oh, how Calvary would change everything. Oh, how the cross would change, turn their world upside down. 
At first they thought they were right. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he finally cries out to tell us, I is finished, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You can imagine everybody's going, see, we told you. That's the king? No, how little did they know that that was a victory shout. Amen? That was the beginning of the victory dance right there. Jesus was going to go into the end zone and he was going to jump up and down and spike the ball on top of it. Right in in Satan's face. When that stone rolled away, Jesus is going, no, I told you. Did exactly what I told you I was going to do. No sign will be given to you. Remember what he said? No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. They're all sitting around. Well, he's dead. That's going to be kind of hard to do. And then three days later, let's see. You can, you can almost see him counting on their fingers. Let's see. How many days was, how many days was Jonah in the well? One, two, three. How many days since Jesus was crucified? One, two, three. The whale's empty. The tomb's empty. Uh-oh. You, know, you can almost see the gears turning with them. Like he said, his kingdom wasn't going to be like any kingdom that we knew. And so in Matthew 23, the Lord would pronounce a series of woes that would climax with the overthrow of Jerusalem, the temple being destroyed, the dissolution of the Jewish national life, the Bar Kokhba uh, revolution, rebellion comes about, Titus' destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And so all these things come about. And they're, they're all sitting there going, same we told you. And Jesus is going, oh, no, I told you. And now we wait 2,000 years. And all of a sudden in 1948, May 14th, things start to get a little strange for everybody. Because Jesus was talking about a generation. And then he mentions in Matthew 24 another generation, one that would witness the rebirth of that state of Israel, that national life of Israel, and that valley of dry bones that's raised up in Ezekiel 37, is as they come back to life and they go back into the land, they're speaking one language, and, and Jesus is talking to them. He's saying, look, told you these things would happen. The events would approach, the end times would draw near. Interesting thing was, is that Jesus avoiding this question was actually leaving it open for the age of grace. He was doing something incredibly wonderful. Because he could have said, it's coming a week from tomorrow. So you better get ready. But instead he says, no, I'm not going to tell you when it is. I'm going to tell you what the world will look like when it actually happens instead. So that we could know the seasons. We could know the times. We wouldn't know the day or the hour. But we could know what the world's going to look like. When in fact the actual literal kingdom was about to be upon us. And in the meantime that kingdom would be right here for anyone who believes. That generation in Matthew 23 lasted about 100 years. They were gone. And then the. 
great parentheses of, of the open time between when Jesus said, look, there's going to be a generation that would see these things. And notice now verse 26, and we see the question that Jesus begins to, to put before them, and that's his return. So verse 26, he goes on. He's been rejected. And then he brings up the question, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. So Jesus skips over the age of grace. He skips over the church age. He goes all the way past the age that we currently live in, and he lands now on the answer of their question. He says, you guys aren't going to see it. You're going to long to, but it isn't going to happen. But there is a generation who will. And let me tell you what it's going to look like in that day. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. For they ate and they drank and they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And so the first example is before the flood. It's as it was in the days of Noah. He gives a second example. And likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. So now he's after the flood. This is the time of Abraham. Abraham makes his journey from his home there in Ur of the Chaldees, He's out in the plains of Shinar. He's got these silly family members. Lot. Lot's wife. And they ate and they drank. They bought. They sold. They planted. They built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And so he gives two examples, one before the flood, one after the flood. And both of them, there was utter godlessness in all of society on the earth. The world had gone nuts. He says, even so, it will be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. He says, look, I'm going to answer your question now. I skipped over it, said you're not going to see it, but now let me answer it for you. Here's when it's going to happen. And remember, they're asking for a specific time. They're hoping they can trap him because they want to do this. They want to say, look, you told us it was going to be a week from Tuesday. And it didn't happen. That's actually the point that they're trying to make here. And Jesus goes right over it and he lands here. And even so it will be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. In other words, the world will look just like it looked. It will be wretched, debauched perverse in every way, shape, or form, like it was before the flood happened and after the flood happened. For in that day, he is on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. And here, then he says, why? Remember Lot's wife? You remember Lot's wife? Remember what happened to her? They're booking it out of Sodom. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of that, that situation, 
And I realize we have the recorded, Moses records the events. And so we kind of know from behind the scenes what's going on. But I'm kind of thinking the fire and the brimstone was a good reason to get out of Dodge. And so it's being laid waste. And they're told very implicitly, leave. Get out. Lot's told, man, don't even pitch your tent towards the city. Don't even view it. Don't look back on it. And for us, it's like this. We're not to even look back on our old life. We're to put off the old man and all of his deeds. And we're to turn our face towards the Lord. And so he says, here's how it's going to look when the Lord comes again. When he returns. He passes over these two climatic uh, periods of ancient history, and it's going to shed some light. They were carrying on everyday affairs. Do you remember the scene with Noah? People were mocking Noah. They're like, dude, you are out of your mind. First, it's not bad enough. You're building a boat, and there's never been any rain. You're not near a body of water. It's too, you're not carrying it anywhere. You are loose in the caboose. The head has gone someplace it shouldn't go. You, you, too much wine, something's happened to you. And so they mock him. And he sticks to his story. You know what he stuck to? The word the Lord had spoken to him. The Lord had spoken to him. He says, this is what I'm going to do. And Noah believed God. We're to believe God, family. We've got to trust him. What he says, he will accomplish. And so in that day, an utterly godless society, despite Noah's warnings of the wrath that was going to come, Noah's like, he's the, we know him as the preacher of righteousness, Right? He's like, you guys need to turn or you're going to burn. You need to get in the boat or you're going to get buried. None of you know how to swim. There are no lakes around here. They're all like, ah, you know. We got the good thing going on. I mean, it's only three days to our next party. I was shocked. I did not know this about Facebook. Just so you know, I'm not on Facebook. But I didn't know this about, somebody told me about it, so I logged onto a Facebook page, and I was actually looking at it. You know they have countdown timers to people's parties on Facebook? You, like, go on there, it's like, you know, 14 hours and 27 minutes and 37 seconds until we completely lose our minds at the, you know, it's just, it's nuts. It's crazy. Same as it was in the days of Noah. Then the days of Lot. Same exact thing, except there was an additional perversion there. And that additional perversion was homosexuality. In spite of liberal theologians trying to say that they were just not hospitable, the original language, the Hebrew language, is very specific about what was going on. They were men trying to have sex with other men. And God said, that's not going to work for me. And so... I'm going to judge the earth. I'm going to judge you who are engaged in these things. And so Lot's wife, who's virtually dragged out of Sodom by the angel's hand, escapes by the skin of her teeth only to look back and perish because she can't take her eyes off the sin. 
We get two glimpses from this careless, evil world, and it's exactly what we need to look at today and say, okay, Jesus said he's going to return when the world is like the time of Noah and the world was like the time of Lot. I don't know about you, but I've been seeing a lot of things lately that makes me think the Lord's return is near. I I don't think we need to go into all the details, but I think it's very clear the direction that this world is going is one that's not pleasing to God. In direct contrast to what his word declares. Next, the Lord talks in verse 33, we'll pick it up there, about how he's going to pull out those who are okay. You see, in Abraham's time, in Lot's time, what does God do? God rescues the righteous remnant, doesn't he? Matter of fact, he goes so far, look, if there's 10 people left, will you spare the city? God always takes care of his own. Check out verse 33. And whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. In other words, if you cave in to the things of the world, if you go the world's direction, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. In other words, if you give up, you surrender, and you say yes to the things of the Lord. I tell you that in that night, there will be two men. And I want you to notice the words that are used here. It's the word taken. This is two men will be in one bed, one will be taken, the other will be left. Now, it was quite common at that day and time. You think about beds today, we all have our own. Everybody's got, you know, you can pull out your little control and like, I'm a nine. <laughs> Back then, it was a space and people slept on it. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, one will be taken, the other left. In other words, they're taken, they're snatched away, they're removed by force. And I believe it's directly pointing towards the the rapture of the church. Those taken away, snatched out of the jaws of death, as it were, the things that will come upon this earth. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. And you can see it just over and over again. And it isn't talking about percentages, and it's going to be 50%, and 50% are going to perish, and 50% are going to... That's not what it's saying. It's simply saying that by our choices, we get to choose whether we're going to be here or taken there. And so the Lord sets, in essence, the globe before us. And I want you to notice a couple of things. It's nighttime in one scenario. It's daytime in the other scenario. So it's very clearly talking about a global event. Because it's the same event. And one will be taken and one will be left. One's going to be working and one's going to be sleeping. That means they're in different time zones. And so he's not saying, well, you know, if you're, if you're in the Middle East, you're going to be fine. But, you know, if you're in America, oh, well. No, he's talking about when that time comes, when the Lord says enough, when the world gets the way it's going to get, and the Lord says, okay, I'm coming back. When he answers the Pharisees' question, it's going to be nighttime in one half of the world and daytime in the other half of the world. And so he mentions the days of Noah, and he talks about these things. He's basically saying, look, are you ready to leave? Are you ready to go? Are you rapture ready? You ready to get out of here? Are you ready to get out of here? 
Am I ready to get out of here? Am I paying attention to the way the world is moving right now? Because the world's moving in a very, very, very bad direction. In a way that's proven time and time again to be the destroyer of society. We, we look at this, it just grieves my soul. And I'm sitting here and all this talk that's going on about, you know, we finally crested over as a society and we're tolerant and we're accepting. And that's of a whole bunch of things that God says, no, you should not be tolerant and accepting of those things because they're evil. And yet you have the church going, well, you know, I guess we better give in because everybody's thinking that everybody's doing that. Everybody's going that direction. That's not the side you want to be on. You want to be different. So we get two pictures of that careless evil, if you will. And as the Lord talks about that rapture, he's just saying, look, you're going to be on one side of it or you're going to be on the other side of it. And you really don't want to be left behind. Now, I want you to also notice there is no preference of gender. There is no preference of place. It doesn't matter whether you're working or sleeping. It isn't one of those things. It's like, well, if you're in this group, you're fine. It was a matter of the individual choices that person made. And it would be on a global scale. And what he's really asking them, the, the question behind it is really the question we asked this morning. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Because if it is, you're good. You got your ticket. You're ready to go. In an instant, on a global scale, a church is going to be gone. You're not going to get to change your mind. And so Jesus is speaking this, this result, if you will, uh, of what's going to happen. You've got to make those decisions. And so rather than giving them a day and an hour, he's saying, look, this is what the world's going to look like. And here's what's going to happen. There's going to be an apostate church. There's going to, there's going to be the nation Israel. The nations of the world are going to be left for judgment. And it's really what we've been studying as we've studied chapter 6 to chapter 19, the book of Revelation. It's that period of time that one day is going to start on this earth. It's going to be that 70th week of Daniel. It's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be the great tribute. It's going to be all those things. The Lord's saying, look, you can make your choices now and live your life right before me. Or you can take the result that that's going to get you. And so he says, look. If you're in the right group, you're going to come home with me. And so he describes in verse 1 of chapter 18, now we can finish this up. Then he spoke a parable to them. So he's given them a story. And I want you to carefully look at your Bible. And remember, as I've shared with you many times, there were no chapters or no verses. When these things were originally written, transcribed, they were just simply uh, the writings of, of Dr. Luke. And they were in a very long format. And so chapter 17 really goes into chapter 18 as far as we're concerned. And it concludes really in verse 8 of chapter 18. And then he spoke a parable to them. So now he's going to clarify this for them. That the men always ought to pray and not lose heart saying. So when asked a question, when are you going to come? Jesus said, I'm not telling you the day or the hour. I'm going to tell you what it's going to look like when that happens. And then he goes on to say to them, Here's what you really need to know. Men ought to always pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city judge who did not fear God or regard man. I want you to see this. 
So now we bring on the scene, not only do we have a society that's upside down backwards where good is evil and evil is good, but now you have a judicial system that doesn't honor the Lord. Anybody starting to think about a country that you know and live in? You've got good being called evil and evil being called good, and you've got a corrupt judicial system that doesn't honor the Lord and doesn't do justice for mankind. People ought to be thinking a little bit about the question that the Pharisees asked, that Jesus speaks to the disciples and then really begins to direct. He says, there's a certain city judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And now there was a widow in that city. And so it becomes very obvious what he's doing. He's saying, look, this is, this is a no-brainer. There's a certain widow in the city. And now remember when this is written. So they would have had Exodus 22 to turn to. They could have just looked at it and go, okay, Deuteronomy 10. Yeah, it says we need to take care of widows. So we should do that. There was a widow in that city. And she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Now see, the crazy thing is, that's like walking into a court of law. And you've got a videotape of the armed robbery and say could you get justice for me here's the videotape it's very clear i was robbed the guy has the gun his face is completely in the camera saying well you know i'm just really not sure that's him the systems become corrupt it's clear what should be done And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man. One of the things that just drives me crazy right now is the fact that what is supposed to be a separation of powers within our governmental structure, in other words, we have a legislative branch and a judicial branch and an executive branch. You have the executive branch writing legislation. You have the judicial branch executing executive power it is all messed up and nobody cares the fact that it's actually a government of the people by the people and for the people amen and it certainly doesn't represent the lord because the vast majority of the things that have been done of late don't represent the lord at all troubles me just as it is troubling in this passage but he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, I do not fear God or regard man. Yeah, because this widow troubles me. In other words, it's such a bother to me. It's not that it's right. It's not that it's just. It's not that it's fair. It's not that it's equitable. But this hag has given me some problems. and I got to go play golf. That's the Jeff Gill nearly inspired version. I got things to do. I mean, look, I'm an important person. Time is money. I got to go do stuff. But because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. In other words, I don't want her wasting my time. I don't care about justice for her. I certainly don't care about righteousness. Now bear in mind, this whole passage is in light of when are you coming? When's the kingdom going to come? When's that going to happen? You see, they, they missed that there was a separation between the first and the second. But basically, they're asking, when's your kingdom going to come? Jesus is still answering that question. This is crazy. Okay, so you have it as it was in the 
days of Noah. You have it as it was in the days of Lot. You have the world upside down. You have the judicial system. So you now have the entire world anti-God. And then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? Check that out. You see, God didn't miss any of it. God didn't miss the stuff going on with Noah. God didn't miss the stuff going on with Lot. God did not miss the stuff with this widow. God was hearing every bit of it. And he says, look, I'm being patient. I'm being kind. I'm going to wait 2,000 years. He says, but when you see it turn like it was then, when you see an unjust judicial system that won't even go so far as to take care of something obvious, like a widow who's been wronged, he's answering the question. And I tell you that he will avenge them. And he uses a very unique Greek word here. Speedily, as in immediately, as in with great eminence, it is upon you. When the world gets that way, it's going to happen quick. And nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, you see him go all the way back to the answer to the question. Will he really find faith on the earth? You see, that's the answer to the question. They ask, when is your kingdom going to come? He says, don't worry about that. It's within you. And he gets all the way back to the, is he going to find it on the earth? How is he going to find it on the earth? Because it's going to be in them. It's going to be not a visible kingdom. When he comes it's still going to be an internal kingdom within people. His visible kingdom will come later when he comes back. Amen? So when the church is taken out, it will be when he comes back after the tribulation that a visible 1,000-year-long kingdom, which we're going to be looking at on Thursday night, is going to come. And he will rule and reign here on this earth with the rod of iron. And, And it's going to be amazing. But until that time, what we need to be looking for is when the world starts to come unhinged. And it goes the wrong way and does the wrong things. And it is unjust and it treats people poorly when there is a correct way. And so in all these things, the answer to this is, look, he's going to take the church out. He's going to judge the world and and no one's going to escape it. And so he tells us the purpose of this parable. Look, the purpose is to remind you, look, I've got a plan to square all this away. Sometimes we look at things going on in the world. It's like, man, is the Lord ever going to take care of this stuff? It's like, it's so crazy. Then we look at the pieces of it. No reverence for God. No respect for people. It sounds just like a country that I know. And so the reason, family of God, that we need to be very busy about our father's business is I don't know how much time we've got left. I was talking via text this afternoon. We were, we were talking about we have an opportunity. We're going to take it to plant 10 churches in Liberia. It's going to happen in July. Why? Because we don't have forever to mess around. Because I think the world is like it was in the days of Noah. 
I think the world is like it was in the days of Lot. And I believe that time is short. The day is at hand. The world is completely unjust. It's crazy. I was joking last night as we went out to dinner. I I felt like getting a show of hands, you know. How many people got a traffic camera ticket at that corner on Rosecrans and Hawthorne where the Costco is? It's like it's totally unjust. It's like, okay, well, we'll just jack people up for 500 bucks a, a, a spot, you know, for a silly traffic camera. It's crazy. Just so you know, it's almost a sure thing here in the state of California. In November, we're going to have legalized recreational marijuana use. That's going to help. That'll be really good. It's not bad enough that we have just us driving normal on the freeway. Imagine now that there's stoned people with us. I don't know how much time we have. It just seems to be descending. So we need to get busy about our Father's business. We need to have that compassion. We need to recognize that as the Lord clears the way, as those woes unfold, that he's got a purpose in them. And ultimately, uh, there's a purpose, there's a plan, and the pieces uh, are going to fall into place. And so as that happens, I just want to encourage you. Don't be dismayed by it. The Lord Jesus gave us this wonderful ability to understand where we're at. And so use it. Don't be bummed out by it. Be ignited to work for king and kingdom. Because he is coming. And he told us when that would be. In a general sense. And it looks like we're there. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you. And even though the world will one day wax, Lord, worse and worse, we we know that's going on. We've never seen it like this. Israel's never been back in the land. And now they're back in the land. They are uh, speaking their own language. Lord, you are putting muscle and sinew on those dry bones. The valleys are green. The trees are planted. Lord, the fig leaf is blossoming. And we pray that we as your church would take stock of where we are in the world and get very excited about being bearers of the gospel, the good news. We bless you for that responsibility, and we also ask that you would give us a heart, Lord, to be engaged in seeing people come to know you. So, Lord, we pray that as we close, that you would just empower us for those good works that you have for us. Lord, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.